Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia. This is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hello. Why does the video always make my cheeks look so fat? Uh, it's the angle that you're at. If you have a higher angle, you lift up your phone higher, it thins you out. That's 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 why. You could also do like a a, a a change in the image where it can thin out your image. Um, but no worries. Um we're going to be talking about your first attempt at chocolate cake and other <laughs> ways of domestication. <laughs> Recipes that fail. Here's what happened. I was um, at Machon Khan in the dormitory. This mm -hmm. was my first attempt to bake what I thought was a chocolate cake for shop. It was an in Shabbos. In Shabbos meant, you know, dormitory Shabbos. It's, we don't, as opposed to going out and eating by people in the neighborhood. So I decided to bake a chocolate cake and I just threw it in my own recipe, not realizing, hey, you need baking powder to make a cake. But what can I say? It turned out like chocolate toffee. Oh, wow. Well, that, that would like, taste nice. Like gum or chocolate gum or something. It was like, oh, so the girls were coming into the kitchen and tearing off pieces of it and, and chewing on it. They said it tasted good. And then I said, hey, I said this was supposed to be a cake for Shabbos. They said, yes. And, and they take off another piece and put it in their mouths and chew on it. And <clears throat> what about times when you were a success and people really loved your cooking? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, one time I made this uh, years later, we had some of your father's friends as guests for Shabbos. And I made this really nice strawberry shortcake what i did was i made like a you know regular white cake and um i you know put whipped cream in between the layers and pieces of strawberry and then i garnished it with all this whipped cream around it and whole strawberries all around it and when i brought it to the table your father's friends went mm, on together and your father says to me ah take it back they don't want it <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I what as I got older and wiser, I did become more successful in my cooking attempts. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how life is. You just except get better the, over um, time. Except then there was that the chicken soup where I added too much salt, and your father said it tasted like the said it tasted like the Dead Sea. Oof, yeah, that would be all too much. I think I remember one time I accidentally used salt instead of sugar in a recipe, and. Oh. I think, and I bit, and I forgot what it was. I'm trying to remember. I think I might have been either, it had to be, oh, I think it was lemonade accidentally. <laughs> and I made lemonade, but I used the, I didn't use sugar, I used salt. And like I almost threw up, or I think I did throw up. <laughs> I remember one time I threw up. You were using, you were cleaning the floor, and there was a bucket, but you, but it wasn't shaped like a bucket. It was a pitcher, and it was it was a blue pitcher that you couldn't see inside. And I was really thirsty, and I poured myself a drink and I drank it. I remember, and I just started throwing up all over the oh place. I don't remember that. See, I I bought out unpleasant memories. Yeah, there's a psychological <laughs> issue with that. You know that, right? I don't know if you have repressed memories. I I, I heard you're not supposed <laughs> to get into them. Um, I don't believe in this business of suppressed memories because I, you talk to anyone who's been through 
a trauma of some sort. And everyone says the same thing. They didn't suppress that memory. They remember every horrible detail about it. Well, no, I, I know some people who literally have repressed memories. They can't remember anything. They can't. They can't go back to it. They don't remember ages from like six to ten. Mm. You know? I remember um, six to ten. All all too vividly. Ah. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, don't blame your parents for your problems. Um, so what did I write here? I'm trying to remember what we were talking about, but well, as you get older, you know, the memory starts to go. You know. No, I'm trying to read my handwriting. Um, oh. <laughs> that also starts to go. <laughs> oh, I see what I wrote. Um, Do you remember your father's handwriting? Oh, my God. Chicken scratches. <laughs> Chicken scratches. You? I think it was you who um, he had to sign. He had signed. Uh, was it your homework? One of your brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. You signed their homework, your homework, <clears throat> and you brought it to your Rebbe and the Rebbe accused you of trying to forge your father's signature and you said no no this is my father's handwriting he says that's impossible no normal human being would write like this i think i think about i think it was i i, I don't think it was me i think it was somebody else i think it might have been yosef yeah but <laughs> what i want to talk about though was um white lies to keep someone happy ah that is a very good topic white lies um well we had the story one at one of other podcasts but i'll repeat it about uh, when I was in New York, there was a girl who had just gotten engaged and she had a picture of her chassan in a locket around her neck. So she opens up the locket and she shows the picture to me and she goes, isn't he handsome? Isn't he handsome? The guy looked like a muskrat with glasses. And so I said to her, instead of, of course, I, I didn't say he looks like a muskrat with glasses. I wouldn't tell her that. I said, oh, yes, he is. Yeah, I'm so happy for you. Oh, um, I should have said yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, it's, I'm trying to think of any white lies. I don't know, because I kind of, I grew up in an yeah. environment where you yeah. were like, you always had to be honest. You never really like lied, even white lies to make someone happy. Um. Well, there was one, uh, what happened was with your, your daughter, I mean, your, your sister yes. Mushka was named after the Rabbitson, Chaya Mushka. Oh, yeah. And um, your father, um, knew that my parents would be upset that I didn't name her after um, my father's mother. Myra, right? Mora? Right, her name is Mara, right. Yeah, Mara. So, which means bitter. Yeah, yeah, we talked about yeah. previously. Right. So anyway, so um, your father wanted me to lie and tell my father, oh, but I did name her after your mother. It's Mushka is the Hebrew of Mara. Yeah, <laughs> I turned it around and lied to her. But what happened was, um, I had the opportunity to kind of make up for it many, many years later. My mother, before she passed away, she says to me, Oh, that's right, isn't your mushka named after your father's mother? I'm gonna say, My mother's laying there, you know, towards her, you know, towards her last day. Yeah. So I said, I said, Oh, yes, that's right. How many lies did you tell your mother on her deathbed? Uh, not too many. That might have been. Well, she wasn't really on her bed deathbed. But it was towards the end of her life, though. She had. Yeah. She wasn't in hospice yet, but when she she mentioned something to me many years, like it was just it was just like um, it was like a year or two before she passed away. And that's when she said to me, "Oh, isn't Mushka named after your uh, father's mother?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to say no." I said, "Yeah." And then there was the story about um, uh, well, this wasn't a total like semi. What happened was, um, your brother 
Yosef Yitzhak is named after, of course, the Rebbe's uh, father-in-law, the, the Friedrich Rebbe. And when we were at the Bris, when they announced the name Yosef Yitzhak, uh, one of um, my mother's sister was there and my grandfather, her father, was Yosef Lane. So she got very excited and she smiled at me and goes, oh, after pop. And I, what am I going to tell him? You'll ruin her happiness? Yeah. So I smiled and said, yes, that's right. I said, I said, yes, I told her it was a combination. Yeah. It's his name and the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe's name. Which I'm that's... not like, with, with, with yes, so yeah, I told, I told her yes. Uh, yeah, I just smiled, yes, and I told her it was a combination. And, uh, but wasn't your mother's name Chaya or something like that? What happened was, I always thought my mother's name was Rachel. And then after we named Mushka, I was washing the dishes and I was afraid to call my parents to tell them that you know her name was Chaya Mushka. I knew they'd be disappointed. I didn't name her after you know my father's mother, whatever. So your father, <laughs> my hands were in the sink, all full of soap and water. And your father calls my mother and puts the phone right. Right under my chin. This was the old phones. Yeah, the old phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts the phone right under my chin. And I couldn't. Mm -hmm. My mother answered the phone. I go, okay, Ma. I said, I guess you want to hear the baby's name. Yeah. And I say, hi, Mushka. And then there's a pause and she says, my name is Chaya Rachel. Oops. Oopsie poopsie. Oopsie poopsie. I, said, I thought. Your name was Rachel. She says, no, it's Chaya Rachel. I go, oops. Uh, oh, well. And then she says, well, I'm glad someone's name's for me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> she took it good-naturedly. <laughs> you know, Sephardim, now Sephardim. Yes. Don't understand yes. If we were Sephardic, she would consider it an honor. But but, but in, the, in the Ashkenazic world, you name somebody after a living relative, it's like you're wishing they were dead or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's an insult. Um, I'm trying to think of white lies I used to say or I said to a few people. Um, I don't. I can't think of anything specific. Um, probably like a compliment or two of someone's Ooh, dress. Here's oh, another white lie. Yeah, what is it? I was at, this was before I was married. I was single. I was at this uh, friends of mine, this married friend of mine, in Crown Heights for Shabbos, and the girl sitting next to me drank all the wine. Oh, wow. In the bottle. So when my friend came over to clear off the table, she picked up the wine bottle and she goes to the kitchen and she realizes it's empty. And she looks at the wine bottle and she looks at her husband and be, he wasn't looking at her, but she looks at him like with this look of disgust. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, don't tell me. Yeah. It's horrible. She thinks, she thinks that he drank, you know, the wine. So I had an idea. So when she was by the table, I looked up at her very sheepishly and said, I'm sorry, I have to admit something. And she looks down at me, she goes, did you drink up all that wine? I go, mm-hmm, I'm sorry. She goes, that's okay. <laughs> but it's, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't want to tell them that the girl that drank up all that wine, unfortunately was suffering from mental illness. It was really sad. Wait, was she the, the crazy lady in your seminary? No. no. That no, killed herself? Wasn't. No. Okay. That was that wasn't she. No, she. Um, this was a girl. This was a, a girl who. Um, I mean, she. You know, it was obviously. You know, she. She suffered some form of mental illness, 
And um, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell my friend the truth and get, you know, her in trouble. Yeah. And I, and I certainly, I felt bad that she, you know, here she suspected her husband. Yeah. You know, that's, that's sad because, you know, it's a husband and wife relationship. And so um, I decided to go ahead and, you know, <laughs> take the blame for it. And I, I, I think I remember one time I, I saw, I was at, I was at a, um, for bringing during Sukkis and a friend of mine uh, came in uh, to the sukkah and I was going to pour him a lachayim and his father-in-law was right there. And I didn't realize like I was pouring him a lachayim and like his father-in-law was like eyeballing him, like, because I, I poured him a, a, a decent amount. And like, he was like, uh, like giving him a real, like, like, are you sure you're going to drink all that kind of attitude? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, never mind. All right. And they kind of like stopped pouring him and we just, like, <laughs> slowly, slowly avoided it. Yeah, you don't um, want to get him in trouble with the uh, father-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Also, like, mm-hmm. you know, some people have like dagger eyes naturally. I think, <laughs> you know, it's it's like resting dagger eyes. I like eye the way face. you put that. I like the way you put that dagger eyes. Yeah, because it's just like I realize some people, like they just have a look where like they look at you and they look like they can kill you, but it's not like anything <laughs> personal. That's just what they like. I remember, um, Mr. Gross. Um, he, he had like, he could, he would give me those eyes sometimes just to see, cause kids would scare, be scared of him. And I just, <laughs> I don't know. I was used to Tati. I didn't really get it. Like, what are you doing? But he thought it was really funny, but like he, he had those eyes that like thousand miles stare eyes. <laughs> um, did you actually notice when you were younger, when you were a kid, like if your parents, if your parents, like friends, like went through some, like rough stuff during the war like looking back like their attitude and how they presented themselves and how they talked and whatnot and looked she has a really good question i don't um my my parents really weren't such great socializers okay they really weren't they um I only the only friend I remember. I remember my, a couple of my mother's friends. Uh, she had a friend named Florence, mm-hmm. and Florence was. I mean, Florence didn't go through. You know, and Florence, you know, didn't have any like World War II trauma. She wasn't a Holocaust survivor or anything. And um, uh, my father, um, I don't remember my father really socializing that much. He really, he really was kind of a loner. He really was not that much of a social bug. And my mother had them, but my mother's um, non-Jewish friend Francis. Um, who would have us over, you know, sometimes for, you know, for Christmas over her house. Hmm. Um, and also she, you know, she, her, um, she also like, you know, she, none about, nobody in her family suffered any World War II trauma. Now I did have a friend, a good friend who, um, when I was around 10 years old, who her, her parents were Holocaust survivors. And, um, they they were you would I don't know, you, you you would never guess interesting they were, they were they they were very you know they were very um normal people they you know they were very normal individuals well yeah and, i mean um, yeah they never um um like they didn't go around like they were suffering or anything they were you know they worked hard they owned a store and they worked hard and um they were, no, they they seemed like very, you know, like very upbeat, nice, you know, positive people. 
So what about this having Christmas at Francis's house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? I was very, very young. In fact, we have a we have a well, we have a picture of my sister um, standing next to the uh, Kraxmach tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just, you know, we were just there, and um, I just remember, you know, like uh, basically um, just you know just playing with some things, some toys, whatever. I, I don't remember too much of it, but we would, you know, we would just there as friends and. Uh, to spend time there during yeah. uh, over the weekend. Yeah. Um, what, okay. I, I don't remember too much about it. Yeah. Except it was just it was like a social time, just like a social time. I'm trying to think like you talk about like white lies, white, white lies, white lies. Hmm. Or like when you were like maybe a kid or something, but I don't know. White lies, white lies. Da 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 da. da. White lies, white lies. Um, <laughs> do, do, do. Right. It's okay. We can move on. Yeah. Um, Other than the few, the few incidents as I mentioned, I don't uh, remember. I don't remember. Yeah, no, it's okay. We we can move on. We can we can. I have plenty of other stuff to talk about. Don't worry about it. But it's very interesting. There was one time though. See, it's interesting. Like with me, a lot of people, when a woman like will ask one of her female relatives or a friend, "Does this dress look nice? Uh, yeah. Does this makeup look nice? Does this, does this, does this, does this?" Uh, a lot of times, women think, "Oh, she's fishing for compliments. Don't tell her the yeah. truth. It's horrible, or whatever." I was never that way. When I asked somebody's opinion, I wanted their honest opinion, and I wasn't offended. I really wanted to know because I'm not. I'm not a fashion bug. I don't yeah. have a good artistic eye for color or shape or whatever. I mean, uh, I, I go by basic colors. I mean, you know, um, uh, a light blouse will look good with a dark skirt, that type of thing. Just very, very basic colors. Um, like patterns, like if you're, if you're wearing a top as a pattern, so you wear a plain skirt. You wear a, plain, a yeah. one-colored skirt. If you're wearing a skirt as a pattern, so you wear a one-colored blouse, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah not too savvy, so, but you knew what you were doing. Right, right. But there are some people that are, you know, very artistic and they have this great eye and they could mix and match and come up with all these like really like beautiful combinations. That That's not me. So there was one time I bought a dress and I thought that maybe it really, I wasn't sure if it looked good on me or not. If maybe I was beyond, I was more middle-aged. So maybe I was beyond the dress stage where I should really, you know, just wear tops and skirts. There's, yeah. there's, a, there's a point where, yeah, I know, you know you're saying dresses, but there were sometimes where, um, like a jump was I think it was like a jumper where you're you're beyond the jumper stage. You're mm-hmm. too old for the jumper stage now. Yeah. And so I asked your sister for me about it, and for me said to me, Ema, if you like it, it's okay. I said no, for me, I want an honest opinion. And she hesitated. She was nervous. So finally, she said, Ema. I think it's too young for you. I think you need at this stage to wear tops and skirts. And I said, thank you. Cause I was thinking the same thing, but I wasn't sure. And I yeah. wanted to, see, and I would see if that, if, I, if my instincts were correct. And she was like a little surprised. You well, know, <laughs> cause she thought like, oh, I'm doing, she's looking for, you know. And um, I broke one time buying a dress. I wasn't sure about it. And you know, a lot of women then they show a dress to their husbands, and their husbands say, "No, it looks horrible on you," and they get offended. There's a fight. I wanted his honest opinion, 
So I said, what do you think of this dress? Because he has a very good eye for yeah. art and for shape and for colors. And he said to me, I don't like it. It's not you. I said, thank you. I said, that's why I want it. So back to the, back to the store it goes. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like I was speaking to some people and they were telling me some stories about, you know, being with certain people and how they would respond. It's more of like, how much is someone paying you lip service versus how much someone's trying to be honest, but not hurt their feelings. And it's walking that fine line because, you know, I have experiences where I've spoken to people and I've told them from the heart how I felt. And they just thought I was giving them lip service. They didn't really think I was being honest or they thought I was just feeding them a mm -hmm. line. And when I was starting to hear this one person talking about how their significant other was feeding them a line, you know, they were saying they took it as a compliment. And me, I'm like, I don't know. It just sounds like you're feeding you a line. It just doesn't really like I, I'm just not buying it. And I think that's where mm -hmm. it is, where it's like maybe I'm just, I guess, scarred from people like. But me, me not feeding a line and someone thinks it is versus now I think everyone's feeding me a line. <laughs> you know, um, but I, know, I think like they say, honesty is the best policy, and and a lot of times that um, well, let's put it this way: I mentioned that that the story about the girl with her um with her husband, yeah, and I mentioned to Auntie, and you know what Auntie Anne said to me? She said you weren't lying. To her, he was handsome, so you yeah. weren't lying. <laughs> well, it's adding to what you were saying beforehand. You were talking about how um you were trying to find clothes that that go well uh and fit there's this new service um i just heard about it on um i think i was listening to pandora and heard on the advertisement i forgot mm -hmm. what it's called but what you do is you go online to this website you give them your dimensions you tell mm -hmm. them your palette your color palette that you that you like and they'll give you clothes and those give you clothes to that to match with like as a total outfit and you have to wear it, whatever you like, keep whatever you don't send back. Mm. So that's uh -huh. that's really interesting. Um, I think that's really kind of kind of reminds me of um, Clueless. That you know that movie Clueless with that yes, girl would go through all the um, outfits and sift through whatever she likes on like on her <laughs> computer or online. Uh huh. So I thought that was pretty neat. Um, but moving on, the we were talking about. TV shows that glamorize a lifestyle that shouldn't be glamorized. I guess like mafia shows or prostitution shows, or there's this one show called Euphoria that just it it it, it glamorizes just dumb teenagers making dumb teenage mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, it was originally an Israeli TV show that was yeah. fit uh, more to to American standards. And American standard television, like like I've watched some Israeli shows that went American. And what I've seen was like the Israeli show, I think would nail it on the head of like what exactly, I guess they'd keep a good steady pace and American shows would just like dramatize it and make it bigger. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my, my father mentioned something about that. One time we were talking about the difference between uh, say British humor and American humor. And um, my father said the difference, he says, British humor is like an underplayed type humor. American humor is exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah, which gets kind of annoying if you think about it. Um, but um, what I thought was interesting, though, is um, 
I told, I don't know if we discussed this one time about I'm into old movies. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was a teenager, when I was in college, oh, that was the thing. In fact, college it was it was the style. I mean, a lot of a lot of our of us college kids really were into the old vintage movies. We loved watching them for historical, you know, for historical insight. And um I was watching I was watching um the original our gang comedy, Little Rascals, the silent ones, the silent, yeah. the silent Little Rascals from the mid 1920s, early mid 1920s, and the humor in it. Aunt Anne said the same thing that it reminded us of our father's humor, like an underplayed type humor. And there was um one um, there was one episode where this little girl named Mary, her father is a um, he's involved in the racing business, in the horse racing business. And it says, and it shows Mary with her father, you know, they're about to go there. Our father's going into the racetrack, you know, to, he has a horse, that whatever that he's entering. And so the play card says, Mary's father is not dishonest. He's just broad-minded on the subject. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That's really cute. <laughs> um. <laughs> I wrote down place guaranteed a good time. I'm trying to figure out what that meant. Um, Places you go where you're guaranteed a good time. Yes, yes, that's that's what it is. Um, Israel. Yeah, we said we Israel, and I think that's Israel, true. Yeah. I think it's true if you're Jewish. I don't know if you're not Jewish if you're automatically going to have a good time or not. I think I remember there's one mm-hmm. celebrity. Mm-hmm. I think it was was it Usher. He's he's this famous um, singer, and like his ideal location would be Tel Aviv, um, and I just I, the, what I liked about Israel was that there was this comfortability there that I don't have anywhere else. Yes, um, you really feel <laughs> co- finally. You don't realize how much you're holding your breath until you go to Israel and finally breathe. Mm-hmm. I I think that's something that I like. I don't think anybody else who, you know, is not Jewish understands that. And any any Jew who's mm-hmm. anti-Zionist, I don't think they get the damage they're causing and the misunderstanding that they're having. But what, like, what, what, what's good so great great about Israel is like we were there for the Yom Tovim, your, your father and I, and you know when as long as you're a Jew in this country, United States, you still feel like a stepchild. Yeah. And when you're in Israel, it's like everyone's celebrating the Yomim Tovim. It's, and they're all celebrating the same holidays that you're celebrating. Yeah. And, and it makes it feel, I mean, as much so much more camaraderie. Funny thing happened, though. Your father and I am, um, were on our way. I think I think Yosef was with us. We were um, walking down, I think it might have been Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. I forgot where it might have been. Either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Yum Kipper, and um, we're going down one of the main drags towards the hotel, and these young men come running up to us, desperate because they heard us speaking English, and they go, "Please, please, can you help us? Please, can you help us?" They said, "We're Christians, and we're starving. <laughs> what restaurants are open?" Like, oh no. <laughs> So we noticed like down um 
Rehov Yaffa, there were some Goisha restaurants that were, there were a couple of Goisha restaurants that were open that day. And so we yeah. pointed them yeah. down to Rehov Yaffa and they, oh, they thanked us over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I remember when I was in Israel um, and you would have visited and I was hanging out with him and we met with these like, two random guys who like weren't Jewish at all, um, just visiting on vacation actually. And we thought it was interesting because we we went to different places in Israel and like we don't speak Hebrew fluently, but we can get around decently. And we realized like this comes you know naturally to us because we were born in it and we were exposed to it at a very young age. And that like other people look at it and it's like apples to orange. They, they can't make heads or tails. They can't read it, you know, and it's oh, just mm -hmm. yeah. when I... When I was in Israel, I definitely, I definitely felt at home. I definitely felt more comfortable to be myself. I definitely felt it gave me the better opportunity to finally open up and find myself. Um, you know, and like, it was the best time I've ever had in my life. Um, you said like, you talk about having a good time, like your father and I, we were in Israel. I mean, we, we went, I think we went to a sports bar. I mean, it's really strange. Like, would I ever go, would we ever go to a sports bar here in the United States? Are you kidding? But in Israel, it was the most natural thing. You know, it was a, it was a kosher bar, you know, kosher food, kosher drinks. And it just felt so natural for us to, you know, go to, any, to a bar, to, you know, restaurant bar. It was like, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, even when we I was. To, we didn't have to worry about what we're eating, what we're not eating. Everything around us was kosher. Yeah. But that's Although also in Israel, you do have to, in certain respects, I understand. Uh, there's sometimes that you'd have to be a little cautious, though, because, like, you know, there's some hechsharim that are better than other hechsharim, you know. Yeah, not, but it's not, not... all hechsharim are created equal. And also, even with Chalab Yisrael, I'm surprised that with Chalab Yisrael, not all, um, not all factories in Israel are Chalab Yisrael, and you still have to look for the Chalab Yisrael's, um, you know, insignia. When yeah, you're, when you're buying something, eating something milchik. Yeah, but that's but then again, that that's that's like comparing about one caviar over another caviar without the option of even having caviar. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's like 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 the hechsherim. There are plenty of of hechsherim where like it could be the halacha, it could be the politics, it could be one thing or another. But it's it's not as bad as like going to somewhere in Europe. Where glot kosher doesn't exist because they outlawed shechita, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just mm -hmm. like like it's pennies to the dollar, in my opinion, when it comes to complaining about the hechsherim in Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think I was well, who was I talking? What was I talking about? We were mentioning something. I was trying to speak, and then we kind of got carried on. Um, Having a good time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I'm really trying to remember here. But what we were talk, what we were discussing, Israel, we're talking the hechshers, we're talking about something else. Whatever, I lost it. This is where sometimes I try to, I try to interject, but like, not too much. Um, Just it'll come back to you. Yeah, we got like eight so minutes usually, left before it's time. After the podcast, I think, oh darn, should have said that, should have said this, should have said yeah. that. Yeah, well, the, all so, the stuff comes to me after the podcast. <laughs> so what I was, what I, I think, what I was saying was, yes, when I was in Italy. Even when I was in Israel, I went and I went to Italy. Um, so technically still like in this, I was very young between 18 and 20. I still had this like, you know, free 
world. I got to like be myself kind of after being engrossed in like very tight restraints. Um, in Italy, I definitely felt there was a part of me that like wasn't wanted. Um, You're probably you right know, about that. <laughs> you, besides the archetitis that that's that's still there, and like mm-hmm. seeing swastikas here here and there, like Ooh. yeah, you really start feeling like oh, you know, like you try to still get get that Israel vibe, but like you start going to places and they're it's more cut off. It's more of like I'm not interested in talking to you. I'm not interested in seeing you. I'm not socializing with you as much. You know, Menachem mentioned something when he was in the Ukraine. He said um, he was walking down the street and I forgot which part of the Ukraine he was in. I think he was probably in Kiev. But he said that um, nobody was overtly anti-Semitic towards him or mean, but he said he just picked up vibes from people that went by him that if they had the opportunity to kill him, they probably wouldn't pass it up. Yeah, I mean, he got he got he got that very that like that like that said so that feeling that uh, you said we really don't want you here type thing. That's anywhere in Europe though. I was I I was in Amsterdam, um, I was in Italy, and the whole Europe vibe. It's definitely like you think you feel uncomfortable in America. Going to Europe, that vibe is totally, totally worse. Because mm. it's yeah. like it's not like in America where you might get some right winger right wingers that are like you know Nazis or some like leftist communists that like hate Israel and Zionism, but like you go to Europe and it's like the mm-hmm. average Joe, like I just it's just the it's Yochum is right the vibe, it's just the vibe of them like you you, you feel like they just don't care. Whether you live or die, it's in, in in a negative sense, not so much like in a. I feel like in America they they have that attitude. I don't care if you live or die, in a neutral sense. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're outwardly Jewish in Europe, there's definitely this. You definitely feel like there's an ugly look behind your back. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that was just my experience. Maybe some dumbass who has his own head up his ass thinks like, oh, it's going to be fine. He doesn't feel that way. Um, but I don't know. I, I I I personally don't like Europe for what it is and what it's done. Mm. It's soaked with Jewish blood for oh. 2,000 years. So um, sometimes I you know, sometimes I wonder about the like, like land. Like you have this that has, like you said, been soaked, been drenched in Jewish blood for so many centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, history's shown that uh, the, how to say it, that that blood eventually comes, boils up, know, boils up with a vengeance. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think they got away easy, in my opinion. Last, last chapter hasn't been written. Ugh. Whatever. I don't think it matters. Uh, I, I, but well, I remember um you talk about okay, we're talking about anti-Semitism a little bit. Well, you know, Crown when I was in Crown Heights in the 1970s. Oh yeah. Oh boy, there was a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism. And um I was walking down the street with a friend of mine, and these two very anti-Semitic girls were behind us. We talked about this, and, I think. Yeah. They said they called us Jew. Okay. They said, hey, Jew. So 
we just ignored them. And I said to my friend, you know, let's, let's just duck into this. It was a kosher restaurant in Kingston. Let's just duck into this restaurant, get a cup of coffee and try to shake these girls. So we went to the restaurant. We got a cup of coffee. We're sitting there drinking it and we're drinking and we're, I happened to glance at the door. I crack up laughing. I said, hey, they're out there waiting for us. <laughs> we, both, we both burst out laughing, waved to them, ordered some pie. <laughs> what are we going to do next? We'll order another cup of coffee, another piece of pie. <laughs> you didn't get any any male escorts to get you out? Uh, we didn't care. We just we just sat there eating. We figured eventually, we figured eventually they're going to get tired of waiting for us. In the meantime, we're just going to have lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's what happened. Eventually, they got tired of waiting for us and moved on. Then there was one incident in Crown Heights. Oh, I forgot what happened. Some some guy on a bus, some I don't know, some guy on a bus um was yelling at some uh, you know Jewish young Jewish guy who was walking on Kingston Avenue and yelling all sorts of anti-Semitic things at him. And he was walk the Jewish man was walking by the store where there was a whole display of eggs outside the store. He grabbed one of the cartons and threw the eggs through the window of the bus and hit the guy right in the face as the bus was pulling away. He goes into the store to the proprietor and says, how much do I owe you? The proprietor said to him, it's on the house. Yeah, I think I think I think we've said this both stories previously. Um, um, maybe we've got new listeners that haven't heard them yet. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Um, sorry, I'm just. Anti-Semitism pisses me off because I, I I see that there's no end to it. You know, you can't argue with them, can't have a conversation with them. You can't go ahead and 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 try to fight them because if you fight them, that's even worse. Then your means you're the aggressor. You're the horrible human being for existing. How dare you? How should you? You should go ahead and and, be, and hide in a cave. And then if you sit there and you do nothing, everyone calls you some liberal cuck who is just trying to like. You know, just be submissive and and not fighting back. Like, there's no win whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm just I like, I I I I have these Instagrams for like Shmuel Boteach and his daughter, who have this thing called Jew defense. And like every every couple of days, they show something new of some person around the entire world doing something horribly anti-Semitic. Mm. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. why are you wasting your time nobody cares it's not going to help whether you show it or not it's just I don't know I think it's just like water is wet and people hate Jews like that's just how I, I see my life you know I don't see anything else any way of this ending there was um what was it uh, a few years ago there was this man I thought it was a joke at first and I found out later no it was not a joke um he has um, a kapata that has um, yes. You can put you can put a gun inside yes. the kapata, and it shows him learning. He was he's he's sitting over a a, a safe fair and he's learning in, in the base medrash. And all of a sudden, you hear people screaming. And he stands up. He pulls back his kapata. He pulls out his gun and starts shooting. And it was it, he had it on sale. It was he was selling this particular type of kapata. That you could wear, where you could actually, you know, put a gun in there for easy access. And you know, I toss, I toss it over in my mind, you know, to be armed, to not to be armed. You know, should I buy a gun? Should I not? Especially here in Florida, you don't even need a permit anymore to buy a gun. Anybody yeah. can buy a gun now. And I know, as a matter of fact, I met a Jewish woman who she always carries her gun with her. 
always, mm. wherever she goes. Yeah, I guess. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please comment and subscribe on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, and Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it, and my mother would too.